Hello, and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President for Health Science Center Faculty Development at the University of Louisville. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Faculty Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Faculty Health Professions Education. Once a week, we're going to come together to use this podcast to bring faculty development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. But well, boy, we're really in for a treat today. We have with us in the studio Dr. Bendu Duca, Associate Professor and Program Director of Graduate Periodontics and a faculty member in the UofL School of Dentistry. In addition, she graduated from our leadership development program. It's called LEAM, Leadership and Innovation in Academics Matter. In our third class, she graduated in the summer of 2020. Welcome to Faculty Feed. Thank you, Dr. Rabelais. This is an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Tell us a bit about yourself. What's your background? How did you end up here at the School of Dentistry? I am from India. I was born in southern India. I have a sister, and my father was a vice president of a company. He was in finance. My mom uh, was a homemaker. So it's a small family, very conservative upbringing. I mean, uh, we were very protected. But what that did was inadvertently made us less independent. If I met myself 20 years ago, my current version met myself 20 years ago, I wouldn't recognize that person. The first time I was traveling alone was to the United States when I got married. I was a dentist at that point, but I'd never practiced. I'd just graduated from dental school. I'd gotten married. My husband was working here in, in, in Indianapolis. So I traveled from India to Indiana. Uh, <laughs> first time, uh, we, I was a nervous wreck. My parents were a nervous wreck. But when I came here, my husband's upbringing was totally different. They were very independent. I mean, they're physicians in their family, and he's an engineer. And I come over, I don't know how to book an air ticket. I don't know. <laughs> I've never gone grocery shopping by myself. I was a very, very dependent person. That was somewhat of a shock to him. And I started realizing that was not the person I wanted to be anymore. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life after I got married. In India, you know, you get married and then you go off and then your life's done. You know, your husband's going to take care of you. But uh, that was not what I wanted to happen with my life. If I knew anything from a very young age is that I wanted to be financially independent. I'd seen my mom. I mean, my dad and my uncles took very good care of them. But financial independence for women is very, very important. So that I was very sure of, um, but I just didn't know how because my degree was not valid here in the United States. I had to either go back to school or do something. So um, I enrolled into a master's in public health program um, in Indiana. The first year that I enrolled, I got pregnant. And it was 2008, um, there was recession and uh, people were downsizing. And it so happened, middle of 2008, my husband had to go back to India. I was in the middle of my um, master's degree. Um, by then, I had, we had our son. Um, I had to make a decision um, if I had to go back with him or I could stay here and complete my education. It was by far the most difficult decision ever, but uh, I decided to stay back and finish my education. And at that point, it was unheard of, of leaving your child, not, not with the mom, but then I had very supportive 
uh, parents. My husband was very supportive and they helped me reach this decision and uh, I left my son in India with my parents and I was here studying and that happened for a year. I was doing something that I had never seen anybody do or heard of people doing. Right. You had to. Yeah. And I and that taught me that uh, decisions matter because if I had not taken that decision, I would not be here sitting in front of you and doing this podcast. I did complete my education. Ultimately, you know, my husband came back. We're all here together. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we had to go through that. And then um, I got into Perio residency and um, here I am. Did you have to go to dental school again? I had to either go to undergrad and get a dental degree, a DMD degree, or you could go to residency and get a postgraduate degree. So I did a three-year uh, periodontics residency program. So what, what year was that when you completed that training? I completed the training in 2015. And is that when you came to the University of Louisville? Yeah, so I graduated 2015 and then, yeah, 2016, University of Louisville. We lose sight of the fact of how different cultures um, impact learners as they show up, faculty as they show up, and clearly you're a person in your mid-20s who can't book an airline ticket then because you didn't have to. Not because you couldn't, yeah, but yeah. you never had to do anything like right, that. Right, right. And, and that's a, quite a transformation. And I think you, you said one thing I think that's very important that we capture at this point, and that is that the life we lead is driven by the choices we make and the decisions we make. And you made a very difficult decision to, to not have your child with you for yep. a year. Yep. That's a huge decision. Yep. Um, but it allowed you to do some other things. Yep. And it let you grow. Yes. In a way that might not have been possible. Yeah. If your husband had stayed and your son was still with you, right? Yeah. And I, we had all moved back to India. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'd be leaving, leading a different life. Yes. But uh, I don't know how it would have turned out. So, Bindu, how did you get into academic industry? So in 2015, when I was getting ready to graduate, I mean, I'd love to sit here and say I loved academics, I loved teaching, and that's why I came into academics, but I was not so sure. One thing I was sure was I didn't see myself in private practice, doing the same things every day, working in a small group. I just didn't see myself like that. Um, and the other thing that I was very sure of is money was never the motivator. It was, it was never and it is, it is never going to be a motivator. So that left me with academics. So I very sheepishly <laughs> accepted the um, faculty position here. And I must say the first two years, I still had a foot out of the door. I was not sure if I liked it. First thing is the grass is always greener on the other side. I'm like, you know, maybe I should go into right. private practice. Am I, am I losing my prime years where I'm supposed to? I cannot tell you how many people here at the dental school told me, you know, assistants, faculty, you're young, you should be out there making money. <laughs> what are you doing here? This is for folks who are retired. That really stuck with me. So I was like, I don't know if this is for me. I mean, there were challenges. And the other thing that I want to highlight, which I found very challenging, and it, I think it's true for healthcare providers who want to get into academics, is folks are trained as clinicians, but they're not trained as educators in their residency programs. So it was a lot of on-the-job learning for me. I mean, um, essentially, I was... At, you know, I was supposed to teach a class, 
okay, on paper, it's uh, you're a course director, but it's actually public speaking. I'm speaking <laughs> in front of 120 students, yeah. and I have to keep their attention for about an hour. Um, and I'm the kind of person where if I'm not getting that kind of response and engagement from students that really um, kind of bothers me and I lose my track and then that doesn't go well. So um, there was a lot of on-the-job learning for me. So I was not sure what I, was, what I had gotten myself into. So you're in academics, you're at the University of Louisville, you've, you've sort of battled through the first couple of years of doubt about whether you should be here or making money in private practice, and you stuck through it, and then in 2019, you, you made a decision to go into this Liam course, the leadership training course. Why, why did you do that? Since the time I started as a junior faculty, I knew I could do more than my job responsibilities. I always knew I could do more. But I also knew it was not enough if I thought it. You know, I had to prove it to myself and I had to prove it to people that I was capable of more than what my uh, assigned job responsibilities were. I came along Liam and uh, that was a great opportunity in kind of developing myself. That was the only idea. Uh, I knew I could do more, but what was that more? I, d I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, and I always am very conscious of not putting titles to where I want to go or what I want to do. It's never about the title. It's about the nature of the work. So um, later, after I got into Liam, I found out that what I was doing was leading myself. Yeah. And Liam was the first step towards leading myself. And boy, was that a life-changing decision. It sounds like you had not really thought about how to lead yourself before, and I've been given resources to help you think about that. So what did that mean to you for the first time to be immersing yourself into things like strengths finder and grid and mindset and the seven habits of highly effective people? What, what did that mean to you? I had a very preconceived notion about leadership. And I always, for the longest, actually till I came into Liam, I always thought people were born leaders. Somehow they were born confident. Somehow they were the way they were, and that's why they're leaders. And then I, you know, Liam happened, and I'm like, that could not be farther from the truth. Um, and, and I always believed in um, walking the walk, not just talking the talk. So if I wanted to be a leader, um, I needed to be worthy of inspiring people. I wanted to be worthy of being a leader of, you know, when people can look up to to me as a leader because that was my idea of a leader. They were, actually there are three people that have had um, a lot of influence in the way I approach things. The first thing is my dad. Uh, the, the second person is Dr. Steve Blanchard, my program director. And the third person is actually Dr. Bradley. So I've observed, I've watched them, um, and I always, it's very interesting to see how they tackle problems how they approach things. Although I've not kind of, may have not spent a lot of time with them, but I, uh, especially with Dean Bradley, but I've learned a lot observing um, how they conduct. So that was what Liam helped me is to kind of find out more about what kind of a leader I wanted to be. So Liam has three phases. That first phase is about leading yourself, and then we lead into how do you lead with others, and then finally wrap it up with 
with leading the organization. What happened in the sort of second half of the course? As I'm going through uh, Liam, I mean, we've, we were given so many resources, books and speakers, and, and then um, there was one thing I knew for sure is whatever I did, I was going to do with involvement. And um, that's a conscious decision. And even going through Liam, I mean, you, you, I could just come sit through classes and then leave. And, um, but I made it a point to read every book, read every reading material, um, actively participate in all the discussions we had going on on Blackboard. Um, and the lessons that, that I have walked away from Liam uh, were first is, um, and, and it's, it's a real game changer for me. One is leading myself, and that never stops. I've realized leading myself never stops. Um, and leadership is not just a set of qualities, it's a dynamic mix of qualities, and it's really a decision that we make every single day. You know, what kind of, a, what kind of an approach do I want to take today as a leader? Design thinking. Design thinking was, you know, um, there is an approach to a certain methodology and a certain approach to tackling problems. Um, you can't just haphazardly go about tackling issues. Um, conscious leadership, you know, if I, I always am led by a certain set of principles. So if I'm going against those principles and it happens, you know, with our day-to-day um, activities, you kind of lose sight of it. So kind of coming back to the kind of conscious leader that I want to be. And one of the most important things also take away, takeaways from leadership is working with people that I don't necessarily agree with. Yeah. That was such a challenge and a block for me. And what I've realized is I'll find people like that every, if I leave this place and go somewhere else, I'll find people there. They are everywhere. They are everywhere. <laughs> and, uh, and again, one thing I was sure is I'm not going to just leave a job and go to a next one just because I can't work with people because they're there. There's drama everywhere. There's no <laughs> dearth for drama. So um, one thing that Liam taught me was communication, um, working with uh, folks that I don't necessarily agree with and uh, trying to be you know trying to stop judging you know this person is good this person is yeah. bad that person is good I am good no it's yeah. just you know people are just approaching problems with the best knowledge and the way that they have and the way that they know best and uh, it's just working through those problems those are some really valuable lessons that I learned from Liam those are great stories from from I your experience it. in the Liam class I'd like to bring up your team project and the work that you specifically did. You got involved um, with either, you know, recognition in general, employee recognition. Um, that was some of um, your key path, I guess, when you think about the projects that you worked on with your team during the Liam course. And so I guess I wanted to ask, um, what got you interested in the whole topic of recognition? So, I mean, if, if I can remember, we were assigned topics. So, so luckily, I think our group picked recognition. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as I started reading through it and kind of researching for the direction that I wanted our project to take, I kind of started delving more into recognition. 
And our problem that we were trying to solve, if I remember correctly, was we had a lot of staff turnover and we were trying to look into why we were losing folks. And then we narrowed it down to kind of probing further into our people feeling valued. And then recognition sort of stemmed out of that. Um, and that kind of led to so many other things. I mean, um, I discovered uh, David Novak. I discovered Ogo Lead. I very diligently completed all the Ogo Lead modules. <laughs> um, to this day, I listen to David Novak's podcast. I still remember. I think we would have uh, our monthly meetings with you all to discuss our project progression, and uh, it, it was a very disturbing time politically at that during that time. <laughs> and I remember Dr. Rabelais had said, you know, just stop listening to this nonsense about politics, which I did. Every morning I had the radio on <laughs> listening to, you know, yes. news. He's like, stop listening to the nonsense and listen to a podcast that'll help you. Which actually, and since that day, I mean, those are things that I can't control on a very large scale. What I can control is myself. So since that day, I listened to podcasts, figuring out how I can be better. For those who haven't listened to David Novak's podcast on leadership, you really should uh, go to it. He interviews just fantastic guests and leaders of all types, CEOs, aspiring CEOs, and people who've been successful in life, uh, whether they're uh, NFL football players like Tom Brady or professional golfers or Indranuri who ran PepsiCo, um, you know, just a tremendous range of people with international impact. And there are lessons to be learned from from those podcasts. So, so maybe while we're on the podcasting, tell us of of the David Novak podcast on leadership. Was there any one that struck you that that you use still today? Um, there was. I think Tom Brady's um, episode was fantastic. I think he talks about the three C's, which I actually follow every single day in my approach um, as a program director. Is which is uh, current uh, clear communication. You know, when there is an issue, you have to address it immediately, not three months after the issues has, has happened and everybody's forgotten about it. And be very clear and precise as to what the issue is and have that conversation and communicate with the with whoever that is about the issue. And I really have a problem with confrontation. Oh, yeah. I, I really struggle with it. I also struggle with the fact that uh, I try and please people. I know my strengths are and I very well know what my weaknesses are and that's one of my greatest challenges is I try to always, I don't want to offend people and uh, I, um, I always, I don't want to say I, I think about what people think about me but that's always at the back of my head because I'm working with residents, I'm working with staff, I'm working with colleagues, I'm working with patients. Um, and that's not a good place to be as a leader. I mean, my, my job is not to be nice, my job is to be fair. And it's, it is my job to give a fair assessment and feedback to, to the residents and it, it, you know, I owe it to them. So I struggle with confrontation, uh, but that's something that I consciously, again, <laughs> approach it every single day, uh, but that is an issue for me. Uh, but David, coming back to David Novak uh, podcast, I think that really helped me. And there was this one other episode with Molly, I can't remember her last name, um, about uh, how everything in life is a negotiation. 
you have to negotiate, negotiate even if it's with your kids, with your husband, with, with your colleagues. Um, if you want to get things done, you, can't, you have to be very agile and you have to be able to negotiate and work with people. Was that yeah. Molly Fletcher? Yep. I, I urge people to listen to that episode. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Well, Willie can uh, definitely put um, a link to uh, David Novak's podcast in the show notes and uh, maybe a specific one to uh, the one with Molly Fletcher as yeah. well. The, the specific aspect, my takeaway from that episode was, which, which kind of links back to that confrontational uh, giving a positive, constructive feedback was she talks about how a coach, and I can't remember their name, um, again, when they have new players in, um, the first thing that the coach does is, you know, gives them a piece of paper and has, has them write down, what is it that you want to achieve during your time here? And then they write down, I want to be the greatest player, you know, I want to do this, I want to win this, all of that. And then the coach goes, okay, how do you think you'll get there? Um, I, I don't know what you mean. Well, that you t- it takes hard work, it takes consistency, um, it takes diligence and professionalism. So when I see you <clears throat> going late to a particular class, when I see you um, not doing the right thing, would you like to call me out? Would you like me to call you out on that? Oh, of course, coach. Yes, then I'm, that's my job. I'm going to do that. So I've kind of adopted that approach is where do you all want to see yourselves three years from now, you know, once you graduate from this residency? oh, I want to be a competent, confident periodontist. Well, how do you think you'll get there? And if you guys are not going, you know, you're not in time to classes or if you're not putting the patient first, I'm going to call you out on that, that because that's my job to do that. So it turns out that whether you're going to be an NFL football player or a, <laughs> or periodontist, a periodontist, <laughs> um, it, it turns out it's the same issue. You have to begin with the end in mind. Yeah. And you have yep. to declare, what are my objectives? And recognize on the front end, yep. what do I need to learn? How, do I, how am I going to go about it? How will I show up every day so that three years from now, that's not a surprise when I'm a competent periodontist. Yep. It doesn't just happen when yep. you get a diploma. Yep. It's work every day, every, every day. day for that period of time. Uh, and so no matter what we do, whether it's an educator, whether it's a researcher, a, a periodontist, an orthopedic surgeon, no matter what, Define what you want and plan on how you're going to get there. Yeah. And it's consistent. And have somebody hold them accountable. Yes. Right? You, you need, that's your role. That's my role. And <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. Um, and it's consistency, what I've learned. I mean, I've, I've always thought about folks who, who take leadership courses, who come to Liam, and I'm like, uh, it's not, it's, I'm not saying I'm holier than thou, but I, I always think about why do they not change? Like, why are they just back to square one the way they were even after they took that course i mean it you there are so many things that you can learn but it's about consistency and it's about putting it into practice not yeah unless there's changed behavior whether it's as a result of a single uh, conference or workshop that you would put on stacy right. or changed behavior when you introduce how do i get something into the human studies committee and get it out and make sure the paper gets done or if you're showing up in a, an 11 month long leadership development course, the ultimate goal is behavior change. That people can recognize that you're different now than when you went in. 
or you left that workshop different than when you went in, or the paper is now done different than when you went in to start it. And that's just true of everything we do. Yeah. And, and beginning with that intent, with that mindset, with the growth mindset that you clearly have, where you know you can learn it. You just haven't learned it yet, but you're going to get it. Yeah. That is something that is just so powerful that we try and reinforce in almost everything that we do in faculty development because inherent in the word development is some change from a current state to a desired state. I'm not a periodontist yet. I am a periodontist. Not able to, you know, give, a, give a, a, an engaging lecture with the right kind of interactive stuff to being able to do that. No matter what it is, we have the power to make the decisions to take that and go with it because nobody else is going to do that for us. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's not about, oh, I've learned about all of this concepts in leadership, and then you do it for a month and You're it done. goes yeah. away. Right. It, yeah. it doesn't work that way. You know, we talked earlier about your Liam project was about recognition. It feels like there are similar threads there with you going back to the team, incorporating the team into your decision making. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, what you learned about recognition in your project? Sure. I mean, recognition is a very huge part of my decision making as well. Um, one thing that uh, I do is I don't wait for a fall retreat. I don't wait for a staff appreciation day to recognize um, our staff um, and, and or our residents. Um, it is every day and it is very specific to the action that they performed. So if they went out of their way, stayed late because a procedure ran late, they will get recognized for it. Um, again, it doesn't have to be monetary. It can be so many different ways that we can recognize a particular a member of the team, but um, I've been told, you know, but don't worry about that. That's the HR's job. Wow. <laughs> of course it is, but I'm not going to wait for the HR because HR has other things to do. And I may not be the direct supervisor of people, but if I'm working with them closely every day, um, I will recognize them on their birthdays. I will recognize them if they helped a resident. I will uh, recognize them if they helped a patient. Um, so anything that helps uh, us achieve our goal or helps us running smoothly, they will get recognized for. And that's something that I do consciously. Yeah, aren't we all in yeah. need of recognition? No <laughs> yeah. matter what level we are, yeah. from, from student to resident to faculty member to dean to college president, whatever, don't we all yeah. feel like we need that? It's a very human, basic need. And in our roles as leaders, in our roles as just people in a work environment or in a home environment, yeah. same issue applies, right? We, we should look for opportunities to recognize people doing good things because it reinforces that behavior yeah. and maybe they'll want to do it again or somebody saw that you recognize Stacy for something well now Laura wants to do what Stacy yeah. did so you'll <laughs> yeah. recognize her yeah. and and it's a powerful tool it that is. a leader has yeah and I make sure um, and something that I also do differently is I have uh, monthly meetings with all our staff and residents and I recognize them in that meeting so if there is a resident that's consistently producing high, that resident will get recognized because that resident is putting that extra effort to get those numbers up. 
So if it's a staff member, they will get recognized in front of everybody and they everybody will know why they're being recognized for. It's not ambiguous, it's not vague, but it's a specific action that they did that helped all of us. That's part of your clear communication approach. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's great. So, Bindu, as you know, podcasts are kind of a, a passive learning activity and we would rather implement active learning. So we ask all our guests to challenge uh, our listeners within the next week after they listen to our podcast. So here's the important question. What would you challenge the listeners of Faculty Feed to do in the next week or so, so after they listen to this podcast? You know, I would urge the listeners to take some time to know themselves better. Take some time to introspect and learn about your strengths and your weaknesses, and and think about how you would want to design your lives based on that. I think we owe that to ourselves. Um, uh, I think the real failure is quitting, not not getting the desired outcome. It's just quitting. So I think we owe it to ourselves to take the time and invest in learning about ourselves and knowing our strengths and our weaknesses and working around that. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate the insights you provided and the feedback about the leadership lessons that you learned from the Liam program. So thank you again for joining us. And next week on Faculty Feed, you're really going to want to tune in to hear about this new social e-reader called Perusal, P-E-R-U-S-A-L-L. Stacy and I will be talking about some unique uses of this powerful tool in education. Don't miss it. If you want to up your game as a professional educator or to enhance your leadership skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be. As together, we strive to make UofL a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to invest. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links and additional information from today's session, as well as our email address. Feel free to contact us at facfeed at louisville.edu That's F-A-C-F-E-E-D at louisville.edu. Join us next time for more and come hungry.